from pallet to pallet. The following is a press release we received from Tramar. We don't have much to add to it, other than to look at the video on the Bar Talks website where it shows the robot in action. It's actually pretty cool, and although I am anthropomorphizing the robot, I like how it seems to take a second after it stacks each bag to admire its work. We made some minor edits to the official press release to make the English version read better, but haven't changed the material of the message. Tramar SRC from Le Havre, France, is a logistics company that unloads green coffee from containers and can store up to 160,000 bags of coffee beans. They handle about 50,000 metric tons of green coffee annually. In 2019, Tramar was facing difficulties finding people to unload their containers manually. To mitigate the labor shortage problem, Tramar purchased an automatic container unloader and palletizer from Copal Handling Systems of the Netherlands. Since June 2020, this machine has been in operation to the full satisfaction of Laurent Goodert, director of Tramar SRC. Labor shortage however is not diminishing, to the contrary, it has been increasing year after year. Mid-2021, Laurent Goodard went to Copal again to find a solution for restacking coffee bags from large harbor pallets to smaller Euro ones. In February 2022, Copalt commissioned an automatic repalletizing robot at Tramar. An advanced camera system recognizes the position of each individual bag and sends its coordinates to the robot. The bags can therefore be accurately picked up and restacked on a different pallet size. Different coffee bags on one pallet is possible as well. The Copal repalletizing robot will make mixed pallets with no effort at all. Instead of three people, plus a forklift driver to repalletize, one forklift driver is now enough to get the job done. Farmers from the beautiful islands of Hawaii, responsible for producing the famous Kona coffee, were shocked in 2020 to discover coffee leaf rust on some islands. Since then, despite efforts to control it, the disease has spread. We were in the process of preparing for CLR, coffee leaf rust, but it wasn't the top priority, now it is, said Christopher Manfredi, director of the Hawaii Coffee Association, HCA. A coordinated effort is now underway to attempt to bring it under control with the help of $150,000 from the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Researches, FFAR, who allocated the money to help the Hawaiian industry which generates $113 million of value annually from the coffee industry. The funding level, while welcome, seemed to me to be an asymmetric response to the size of the threat. Fortunately, the funding got matched by local growers' associations, the Maui Coffee Association, and the Hawaii Coffee Growers' Association. In addition, the U.S. recently announced a $6 million fund for researching coffee leaf rust. The $113 million calculation, in fact, doesn't fully represent all the costs when you consider the second-order impacts, including the loss of value-added services. After taking into account these associated activities, an amount of $231 million was used to illustrate a more realistic, downstream economic impact. The program is headed up by the Synergistic Hawaii Agriculture Council, SHAC, who expands on this thought. Numbers don't do a good job of talking about the deep, 200-year heritage of coffee in Hawaii, said Suzanne Schreiner, director of SHAC. The potential losses of income to growers are severe, 
but it also jeopardizes an entire community built around coffee. The Kona region of Hawaii is a mecca for visitors doing farm tours, local shops selling coffee, and all the ancillary jobs and attractions that stem from the lure of the coffee bean. Shriners Research is a beneficiary of the U.S. $6 million funding, specifically mentioning Hawaii when the program was launched. Our growers are desperate for a solution to CLR, says Shriner. The FFAR grant allowed the researchers an extension to quickly deploy answers to the most basic questions of this disease. As our learning curve grows, it's built on the base of the joint funding of FFAR and our community partners who match the funds. An HCA white paper concluded that Hawaii's commercially grown coffee varieties aren't resistant to rust, unlike other coffee-growing regions. In addition, no fungicide effective in combating the disease was approved for use on coffee in the islands. Farmer subsidies are being proposed by the HCA to help them purchase fungicides that are effective against CLR. The costs associated with doing that could be as much as $10 million per annum and would be disproportionately expensive for small growers, who don't have access to better equipment. It might be bad enough to push them out of the market ultimately and the subsidy program should consider this. However, a better longer-term plan might be to migrate to resistant strains, but this will take time and have associated costs ranging from an estimated $68.5 million for grafting on existing trees, to $95.6 million for replanting. As a medium-term strategy, this can be achieved gradually, but there is still the need to address the immediate issue by cutting the bureaucracy of fungicide approval, training on best practices, and support for the smaller farmers with the costs of protecting against this devastating disease. In a federal lawsuit filed in Manhattan Federal Court on Thursday, Nespresso USA Inc. alleged Pete's Coffee's coffee pods infringe Nespresso's trademark rights for its capsule design. It is alleged that Pete's similar capsules cause confusion between customers, leading them to believe the pods are associated with Nestle's Nespresso. The issue is made more confusing to the consumer, says the company, because Pete's advertises as compatible with Nespresso machines. Pete's declined to comment, but when we reviewed the case, we saw it had gone back several years, with the filings referring to their website and packaging from 2018. Coffee pods have sparked various legal battles in recent years, and Nespresso has, on occasion, been the defendant in some of those lawsuits. Nespresso claims that Pete sells coffee capsules, nearly identical, to Nespresso's, with the same frustaconical tops and opaque colors. Nespresso also said Pete's capsules are likely to cause confusion and that some customers have already been confused, noting several internet product reviews of Pete's pods that call them Nespresso pods. Nespresso said in the lawsuit that it has applied for a federal trademark registration covering its pod design. It asked the court to award it Pete's profits from the allegedly infringing capsules and tripled money damages. A Nespresso spokesperson said the company had spent many years and invested millions of dollars cultivating its unique experience. Pete's had refused to stop infringing its intellectual property after it asked. I went back in time to 2018 and found a version of Pete's website selling coffee capsules. The design of the Crema Scara capsule, for example, hasn't changed from the way it looks today. Indeed, it's the same shape as the Nespresso capsule. Every other compatible capsule is made of aluminium, but that's where the similarity ends. Pete's uses vibrant color, but it's a two-tone pattern, 
unlike Nespresso's single color. Pete's also has a big number on each capsule, whereas Nespresso has no such design. Then there's the fact that Pete's Coffee has their Pete's logo in big letters across the front of the box. I don't think that people on the internet referring to them as Nespresso capsules indicates confusion, it's just an abbreviation of Nespresso compatible. I'm not a lawyer, but it looks far from certain that Nestle is in a solid position to win this lawsuit. Starbucks brings back Howard Schultz as CEO after Kevin Johnson retires. Starbucks CEO, Kevin Johnson, surprised markets with an announcement that he would retire next month without a succession plan in place. Instead of being spooked, investors seemed delighted, as reflected in the 7% jump in the share price on the day. That response can be attributed, in part, due to who will take over, at least in the short term. The interim CEO will be Howard Schultz, the person who built the company in the first place. Johnson's tenure was not a mixed success. He held the reins at a difficult time in the company's history, steering the business through the pandemic and rising the challenge of entering the Chinese market. Johnson had a background in software engineering, so some of the technology adoption, such as a Bitcoin loyalty wallet, and a blockchain traceability app were initiatives that Johnson probably felt comfortable with. But although he accelerated the move to China, they somehow fumbled the opportunity when luck and coffee nearly collapsed, leaving a vacuum for Starbucks to enter. But they didn't capitalize on the space leaving other players and local companies to grow, while luck and two recovered. But perhaps the most egregious of Johnson's failures to the board was the inability to stop the unionization of Starbucks stores. Schultz, who is believed to still be a significant shareholder in the company with shares worth up to $3 billion, had himself battled a nascent unionizing effort during his tenure. Schultz is known to be strongly against forming unions at Starbucks, believing instead that the company should be able to offer their employees what they need to have a fulfilling and rewarding career. The union issue was so crucial to Schultz that he went to Buffalo, New York, in November last year, to try to persuade the workers not to form a union. However, according to workers there, he failed to make the right impression. One Buffalo worker described him as lecturing them like a disappointed father. However, I think the fact that Schultz made the effort to engage directly, shows how important the relationship is between the company and its employees, whom it refers to as partners. Later in a memo, Schultz wrote, We have to take a hard look at how we are doing as a company, and as a community of partners. These are the questions on my mind as we renew a journey to see beyond what Starbucks has been and what it is today, to what it will become. It's become a difficult environment for hospitality business in the US who are struggling to find workers. Many of us may have seen stories in your regular newsfeed of Starbucks baristas complaining about being short-staffed and facing increasing numbers of customers ordering complex customized drinks, adding to the pressure. Johnson had reported to the board last year that he was considering retirement, and the original plan was to appoint Roz Brewer, the company's chief operating officer, to run the company. But Brewer left Starbucks in February 2021 to become the top executive at Walgreens, and it seems like poor planning on behalf of Johnson, who knew retirement was on the cards, not to be more active in looking for a permanent replacement. Timothy Hubbard, assistant professor of management at the University of Notre Dame's Mendoza College of Business, agrees. It's curious that they were not able to find a successor within a year. For a company, the size and stature of Starbucks not to have a solid succession plan is surprising. Board chairwoman Melody Hobson, however, 
focused on the positive when she said Schultz is singularly qualified to be the company's interim CEO. I'm very interested in seeing how Schultz operates over the next six months, particularly how he addresses the union question and whether he will become more directly involved in the China strategy. The war in Ukraine is adding another dimension to an already uniquely complex range of factors affecting the price of coffee. The ICO just released their monthly report and prefaced it as follows. In response to the outbreak of a military conflict involving Russia and Ukraine on February 24, the average New York and London futures market prices for coffee fell by 3.1%, the largest daily decrease since July 30, 2021, when it dropped by 6.9%. The ICO composite indicator price also decreased, falling by 3.7%, the biggest downturn since December 20, 2021. However, the ICO Composite Indicator Price, CIP, rose to 210.89 US cents per pound, a 3.2% increase month-on-month in February 2022. This marks 17 consecutive months of increase. On one hand, downward pricing pressure may come from a drop in consumption in both countries as a result of the war and sanctions. The ICO quantified this number in the report. In 2020, Russia and Ukraine consumed 6.26 million 60kg bags of coffee, accounting for 3.8% of the global consumption. Nestle is one company however, that has not followed some other Western companies in pulling out of the country, something Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky called out in a recent public address. On the other hand, the war is pushing oil prices to new levels, which will impact shipping costs, some shipping lanes are being rerouted and Russian ships and workers are in danger of falling under sanctions. The ICO states in their report. Coffee exporters are already starting to face logistical difficulties, with an exporter reported as having several containers of Honduran coffee stranded in international waters. Additionally, both countries are large producers of fertilizer ingredients, a shortage of which is making those input costs for farmers more expensive. Here are some of the highlights. A link to the full report is in the article on the Bar Talks website. Global exports in January 2022 totaled 10.86 million bags, as compared with 10.64 million in January 2021. Total exports of roasted coffee in 2021-22 grew by 18.8%, year-on-year, from 238,000 to 282,000 bags. Shipments of soluble coffee totaled 4.24 million bags, up from 3.81 million for the same time during the previous coffee year. The share of green exports lost 0.7 percentage point as the total share of roasted exports grew by 0.1 percentage point, and the share of soluble grew 1.1 percentage point. Exports from Africa in the first four months of coffee year 2020-21 increased by 2.4% to 4.04 million bags, while it increased by 20.7% to 14.69 million in October 2021 to January 2022 for Asia and Oceania. Compared to the first four months of coffee year 2021 to 22, exports from Mexico and Central America grew by 24.1% to 3.11 million, when compared with 2.5 million bags for the same period in coffee year 2020 to 21. South America's exports however, decreased by 16.1%, to 20 million bags in the four months of coffee year 2021-22. to 22.